glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. I want to just focus in a very simple way on some things stated in verses 3 through 5. Uh, as Paul introduces the book of Galatians, you'll notice throughout this book, if you read the entire book, he makes an emphasis on man versus God. Was Paul called of men or was Paul called of God? One of the great charges leveled against the Bible today is that is a book that was written by men. You know what's amazing? That's exactly what it says. It says of itself that it was written by men who were moved by God meaning God authored the Bible through men. I've heard this illustration, use this illustration, I'll use it again today. When it comes to the Bible and the various instruments that God used to write the Bible, uh, if you have five or six or seven wind instruments being played at the same time, and they're all playing the same song, or let's say you have one man, I used to, I know a man, he can play something like 30 different instruments, and many of those are wind instruments. He can play a trombone, he can play a trumpet, he can play a saxophone, he can play a clarinet, uh, he can play a flute. Uh, he can play all of them skillfully. And so let's say this same man took each one of those instruments and, and recorded himself playing the same song with those six or seven different instruments. It's going to be the same song. It's going to be the same musician. But it's going to come out with a little bit of a different sound because of the instruments being breathed through. And what the Bible says of itself is that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The various penmen of the Bible are instruments. God breathed into them what he wanted said, breathed through them what he wanted said, and while each author may have a little bit of a different sound, it's the same author behind each and every one, breathing into man and through man what he wanted written on the pages of Scripture. However, having said that, Paul emphasizes, not of men, in verse 1, neither by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's how Paul got his calling in the ministry He's making that emphasis because the Galatians had gotten caught up with doctrines that were originated by men, not by God. And he's wanting to help them understand that God is still alive and God is still working in, the, in that period of time, and he is still today. And I began to say, the Bible comes under the charge, well, it was a book written by men. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, the living word, walked this earth? He came under the same accusations that the Bible does today. They said, your doctrine is your own, meaning you're self-generating, you're... You're coming up with your own ideas. You're not speaking on behalf of God. You're just another man. You were born of fornication. We can't trust what you say. And so the accusations that are used today to dismiss the word of God are not new. They've been around for thousands of years. And so we need to be understanding that today, if we want to hear from God, and this, I want to say this as we come into the message, we can because God is still speaking. He ordained that the written word should be proclaimed through preaching and that by the foolishness of preaching he would save those that believe. So 
we preach God's Word this morning. And as we look at verses 3 through 5, there's a profound truth in these verses that's repeated throughout the Bible. And that is that salvation is in a person, not in a program, not in a series of steps, but in a person. That person is Jesus Christ. And we are moving into a season of the year where there's an emphasis placed on the birth of Christ, at least by those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at Galatians 1 verse 3, Paul says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 4, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In those few verses, I want to just point out three things about the person of Jesus Christ that really the Bible points out. We're going to categorize them and take some time to put a magnifying glass on them, if you might, from other portions of Scripture. That uh, The intent would be to do a couple of things, to help us understand who Jesus Christ is, what He came to do. Uh, We have a little video we put on our website, and the, the statement is made, and I believe this statement to be true. It's why it was made. What you do with Jesus Christ is the most important decision you'll make in your entire life. How you answer the question, who is Jesus, is not only going to determine how you live here, it's going to determine your eternity. Some would balk at that and say, look, Jesus is fine for some, and he is the author of a religion, but he's one of many religions. And if you treat Christ that way, you have to say, you have to say that the Bible is wrong. Because the Bible says Jesus Christ is to have the preeminence in all things. Colossians 1.18. The Bible says that He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. That by Him all things consist. It says in Colossians chapter 1. What the Bible presents to us is that Jesus Christ is God Almighty who created us, who came down and became one of us, that He might redeem us because of the sin that we were gotten into through the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden and through the sin that is in us, and that's God's account of humanity. And you either take God's account this morning, you take a different account, but that's God's Word, and so that's what's presented here when it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Paul writing to the Galatians who had come to believe the truth that Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, God in the flesh, the only one anointed to save us from our sins, and now someone was coming along and trying to teach these Galatians that, yes, Christ saves you, but you also have to do some work on your own. You have to go back under the law. And so then, uh, let's read again verses 3, 4, and 5 and just give you some things to ponder this morning. Verse 3, again, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 3, it says, He gave or who gave himself for our sins. I want to focus in on that, and if you're taking notes or by way of an outline, we speak of his presentation. Throughout the New Testament, the Bible says Jesus gave himself. We'll give you a number of verses this morning to consider. I've heard some people say it this way. What kind of a cruel God would sacrifice his son as though God the Father made Jesus come to earth, made Jesus die for our sins, and Christ, against his will, was made to die for the sins of the world, or as though somehow God being cruel punished him. May I say this? There was no discrepancy between what God the Father wanted and what God the Son, Jesus Christ, wanted, what God the Holy Spirit wanted, and Christ giving himself for us. We know so well, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that God gave Christ as his only begotten son, but here the Bible says Jesus gave himself for our sins. I try to envision sometimes, and by the way, imagination is pretty cheap. You can come up with hypothesis in your imagination. I try to imagine literally laying my life down for somebody else. So you're in an instant of time where it's either their life or yours, and there are certain people that I feel confident I would be willing to die in order so that they could live. I'd be willing to take a bullet for, be willing to take a, a freight train for, be willing to take a, uh, take a blow for. But I promise you there are certain people that doesn't really cross my mind. I would gladly die to save the life of one of my children. And I would be glad to lay down my life so they can have the opportunity to live out the rest of theirs. And if you're a parent, you understand that sentiment today. You have maybe a dear friend or a grandchild. And you say, I would gladly lay down my life. But I want us to understand this morning that the Bible says that when Christ gave himself, it says he gave himself for our sins. Meaning our disobedience against God cost the Son of God his life. We must get a hold of this this morning. So many today have cheapened salvation because we have forgotten why it is necessary that Christ should come. When it says he gave himself, this is not just speaking of surrendering to the arrest in the garden. It does speak of that. But giving himself means Jesus, before he became man, was already God. The Lord Jesus as a personage never came into existence. He is the great I am. In John 8, 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Only one person can claim to be I am. I've met people that claim they are, but they're not. Only God could say, I am, meaning he has no beginning, no ending. He is the eternal God. Someone says, explain that. I'll tell you what. I will explain the eternality of God when you can explain to me an infinite numeric system. Where does the numeric system begin this morning? Jeff, you're a mathematician. Where does the numeric system begin? No, no, that's maybe midpoint, huh? <laughs> yeah, we can. It's infinitely smaller than zero, infinitely greater than zero. Explain it, please. I'll give you another illustration. When you can explain to me uh, how the depth of, of space in our universe, I mean, how far does outer space extend? Ah, you can't say. The heavens declare the glory of God, do they not? And the firmament showeth his handiwork. He hangs some lights in the skies so we can have some comprehension of eternality. You can measure the distance to a star, but you cannot measure the distance to the blackness and the darkness. It is perpetual. So when those are things that we can perceive with our eyes and we can't explain them. How in the world do we intend to explain the eternal God? Here's what I know. He is. He just is. May I say this? Someone says... You have to be trained that there is a God to believe in one. May I say that's exact opposite of the truth. You have to be trained there's not a God for you to believe there's not one. The fool, Psalm 14 says, in verse 1, hath said in his heart, there is no God. Meaning you have to deny what is to say it's not. The, the existence of God is just a truth. Jesus said before Abraham was... I am, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same, 
was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Then verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh. This one who spoke us into existence became a human. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me say something without any malice in my heart. I say it because we love God, we love the truth, and love people. Any religion teaching that Jesus is anything less than God Almighty in the flesh is teaching error. It's teaching a lie and promoting what the Bible calls the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus Christ is equal with God because he is God. Look at Philippians chapter 2. If not, then just listen along. But Philippians chapter 2, one of many verses that outlines what it means for Jesus to have given himself. So what are you driving at? Jesus, as our creator, left the sinless perfection of heaven, the glory of heaven, where he was in complete power and humbled himself and became a human, became a man. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, that's the same idea of giving himself, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Here's what I love about how God came into the world to save sinners. If God had decided to come and prove with all his splendor and glory that I'm a king, everybody expected when the Messiah came, he would come as a king. He didn't come as a king. He came as a pauper. Let me ask you a question. How important in this world do you have to be to get access to a king? You've got to be a who's who. You've got to be a somebody. How important do you have to be to have access to a pauper? Paupers can't have access to kings, but kings surely can have an access to a pauper. Am I correct? You know what? If I want to go see the President of the United States today, never mind, we'll just move on. (laughs) I couldn't, I wouldn't be allowed. Are you correct? Am I correct? But I'll, I'll be honest with you. If I got a call from the Oval Office and said the president would like to see you, I'd say, well, that's fine if he wants to. I, that's fine with me. I mean, I could say no, but if he wants access to me, it's not hard to get it, is it? I'm a nobody. You're a nobody. My point is this. Christ came in such a way that whosoever will may come. He came in such a way that whosoever will. Kings normally don't come to paupers. But all the paupers who want to come can. And he came into this world and gave himself. What I'm trying to say this morning is Christ presented his own life. He took on the form of humanity. He came through the womb as we did, yet was the womb of a virgin. He lived, he grew up and experienced every facet of humanity, including death. The only thing he didn't experience was sin. And even that, he had to feel the weight of sin because of ours. And the point that God makes in his word, and it says this over and over, he gave himself, is that this was a selfless presentation. You cannot explain the God of heaven becoming a man, living a sinless life, and then dying at the hands of wicked men any other way than what the Bible calls love. In this was manifested the love of God that he sent his son into the world. 1 John 3.16 tells us, how do we know God loves us? Jesus Christ came. 
Someone says, well, if God loved humanity, wouldn't he do something to show it? He did. Some say, well, I don't accept that. That doesn't change the fact. He did. God did come to us. God did do something about our greatest need. May I say this morning, man's greatest need, poverty is a great need, but man's greatest need is not physical poverty. That's not our greatest need. You can be poor in this life and wealthy beyond, uh, beyond, beyond measure, knowing that you have eternity. You say, that's easy to say if you're not poor. i got news for you. There are poor people. They're the ones saying it. Uh, this morning, there's a lot of needs in this world, but God addressed our great need, and that is for life. Our sin has brought death into this world, and Jesus Christ came, and the presentation of himself was a selfless presentation. The Bible says he gave himself for our sins. Number two, or letter B, it's a substitutional presentation. The Bible says he gave himself for what? Our sins. It doesn't matter how people want to tweak and modify the gospel. It's still the same. Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Go, if you would, to that well-known text of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of my favorite places in the Bible to describe what took place when Jesus died on the cross. He gave himself for our what? Sins. Let me just say this this morning. If you're not a sinner, then Christ is not for you. If you've never sinned and you don't have any sins against God, you've never disobeyed God, never disrespected God, never ignored God, never denied God, then you don't need Christ. (laughs) But, of course, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for... Our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And by the way, that's the problem. We've each turned every one to his own way. There's many a person in our nation today that says, you know what, I just do things my own way. Therein lies the problem. Self-confidence is a great sin. Don't let a psychiatrist hear me say that. But it is. He that trusteth in his own heart, the Bible says, is a fool. God says if you trust your own understanding, you're a fool. We must trust what God says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him... The iniquity of us all. What no clearer picture of what was called the substitutional death of Jesus Christ. If you have studied a Roman crucifixion, especially one of the most vivid pictures of a Roman crucifixion is in your Bible. It's a historical form of punishment, and we see it so clearly carried out on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the account of Scripture, in all four accounts, we have the account of his crucifixion from the cat of nine tails on his back to the nailing him to a cross by his hands and feet, uh, to hanging him with two criminals, to the, th- the crown of thorns on his head, to the final spear in his side after he had died. The Roman crucifixion was a cruel form of capital punishment. I think we all would agree today there would be a tremendous injustice 
to see a man who was needing to feed his family and knowing that stealing is wrong, but he goes down to the grocery store and while nobody he thinks is watching, he grabs a, a rotisserie chicken off of the shelf there at Super One and runs home and he and his family are going to eat it and he puts put before a judge and the prosecution says, Your Honor, we are asking for the death penalty. The judge says, Excuse me? We're looking for the death penalty here. Now, according to our laws, it's not impossible. You can't ask for the death penalty for uh, petty theft. But if so, and he says, we're asking for the death penalty, and the judge says, well, this is petty theft that he's charged with. It doesn't matter. We're asking for the death penalty. Anyway. The judge says, he knows that if he says, I don't go along with the prosecution, the prosecution is going to get me booted out of my office next election. So i got to work with the prosecutor, or the, the crowd hates the man that's guilty of petty theft. So he goes along and says, okay, okay, we'll make a modification in this case, but I wash my hands of it. You want to prosecute him and give him the death penalty? If you can convince a jury to do it, fine. The jury says, we've already found him guilty. Hang the man. And they put the man to death for stealing a chicken. How many of us think that would be unjust? It is. That's the, the penalty is supposed to equal the crime. Now, if we think that's unjust... Our Lord and Savior was arrested, hauled before a court, and the judge says, I find no fault in him at all. Pontius Pilate, not a perfect judge, but having examined Jesus, questioned him, cross-examined him, sent him to Herod, had him examined there, beaten at Herod's judgment seat, and brought back, says, I find, I can't find a crime. I can't even find a fault. Crucified. And all of this, we must take this by faith, all of this could have been stopped with one word. Our Lord and Savior, who created every person that was judging Him, could have said, I've had enough. I won't be treated with such injustice. We have a world today that's crying injustice, injustice, and there is. But friend, there is no greater injustice than rejecting Jesus Christ. Hear me this morning, there is no greater human injustice than rejecting Jesus Christ who has already been punished for every transgression we've committed against God. And then to reject Him as though He is some kind of a fraud is the most heinous crime known to man. It is for this crime that men will go to hell. For rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He that believeth on him, uh, for, uh, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he believeth not on the name of the, begotten, on the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says in John three thirty six that the wrath of God abides on the one who does not Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We understand when the Bible says in Galatians 1, who gave himself for our sins, when Jesus left heaven, he knew what it would cost him. He knew what it would cost him. He knew he would have to come, and he knew that he would have to be crucified at the hands of wicked men because that was determined before the world began, how God would redeem mankind. You say, explain all that? I can't explain it all, but I can tell you it's in the book. (laughs) God in flesh knew what it would cost him, yet he loved us enough to say, I'll do that so they can be forgiven for their sins. He gave himself not just for a good example. He gave himself for our 
sins. One couple more texts, we'll move on. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were sinners, we were, recon- we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And then Paul says this, it gets very personal. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And what does the next few words say? And gave himself for me. Was Paul there the day Jesus was crucified? Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Either not born yet or very little. When Jesus was crucified, he was not responsible. He was responsible for helping to martyr Stephen, but he wasn't responsible for crucifying Jesus. Not personally there with a nail and a hammer. Yet he identifies himself as Jesus dying for him. Isaiah, six, seven hundred years before Jesus was ever born, says he was wounded for, and he uses the personal plural pronoun, our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah, six, seven hundred years before Jesus was born, said, he will die for my sins. One payment for the sins of man ever. And it is not a religious system. It is not turning over a new leaf. I heard somebody say the other day, the problem with turning over a new leaf is there's a lot of dirt on the other side. Ah, a lot of truth in that. It it was not about reformation. One payment for the sins of man in all of man's history, and that is the offering of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. Listen to me this morning, please. This is where many back away from the gospel. They say, I believe Jesus came. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe all the things the Bible says about him. And what a horrid death he suffered. And he died for wicked men. But I don't really believe that I'm bad enough that that kind of death was necessary to pay for my sins. I might have done some bad things, but I'm not a bad person. We looked last week at the Apostle Paul. He had a pedigree. He was raised in a Jewish home under the law, circumcised the eighth day, a Pharisee. He knew the scriptures. He was zealous about his religion. He was sincere. And yet he came to the point that he realized Jesus' death was because of his own sins. And if the apostle Paul was not righteous enough to go to heaven before he got saved as Saul, nobody is. Because by man's measures, he had it all together. This morning, we must be able to see sin God's way. I would say this, any time we would say what Jesus did in dying on the cross, certainly he needed to die and it was a good example. Underneath that is a sin called pride. Pride is the defense of self. Pride is the defense of self. You know what needs to happen to self? It needs to be nailed on Jesus Christ's cross where it deserves to be. We are not righteous. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We are all as an unclean thing, and all, we all as a leaf do fade away. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Someone says, If that's God's perspective, I don't need a God like that. Ooh, I hope no one in this room has that sentiment. Because that is God's perspective. Our righteousness, yes, son. If you want to be righteous today, and I want to be righteous today in my own eyes, how do we do that? 
Well, I've got to compare myself to somebody else. But God doesn't compare us to somebody else. He compares us to Jesus Christ, who is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Not a breathing person in this room that has not intentionally disobeyed God in our life. We're worthy of the death Jesus suffered on the cross. We need to accept that reality. When you accept the truth that I deserve what Jesus took, it's called repentance. I believe God so much that I agree with him that I am wicked enough that if God cast me into an eternity in hell, God would be right to do it. Until we can get to that point, we're not really on the same page with God. Pastor, that's hellfire and brimstone preaching. That's Jesus Christ preaching. He said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Is that not what our Savior said? Did not John the Baptist run afore him and say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Meaning you better get in line with the Lord. May I say this? He's coming again. That's not fairy tale. It's fact. Well, we don't want to be in disagreement when he appears, do we? And so this morning, Jesus Christ's presentation, selfless presentation, a substitutional, sacrificial presentation for the wages of sin is death, meaning he took our wages. We earned death through our sin and he took it for us. That's the simplicity of the Bible. Fourthly, it's a selfless presentation, substitutional, sacrificial one. Fourthly, a submissive presentation. We've touched on this already. In Philippians 2 verse 8, it says, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was not coerced into the crucifixion he offered himself. He said in John chapter 17, uh, John chapter 10, verses 17 18, No man taketh my life from me, I lay it down of myself, and I take it up again. Meaning nobody forced Jesus to die. He willingly accepted that death in our place. Amen? And that's his presentation. That's what Galatians 1 says. By the way, do you know why Paul's having to say this to the Galatians? Because they began to put confidence in what they were doing for God instead of what God had done for them. So Paul had to remind them, no, you're redeemed today and righteous today through Jesus giving himself for your sins, not through your religious rituals for your sins. Man is ritualistic. Do we realize that? Cain in the garden went through ritual and he died without God. He had ritual. He offered God a sacrifice of the best works he could come up with. And God rejected it and said, no, blood must be shed. I'll take Abel's offering over yours because it was symbolic of the death and offering of Jesus Christ. And so then the Lord Jesus gave himself, the Bible says in verse 4, Galatians 1, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Meaning Christ's sacrifice for us is God's plan of salvation. It's God's only plan. It's the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Man has a consciousness of our sin. We know we've done wrong. It's what we call guilt. Today, humanism seeks to say guilt is not to be present, and we... Humanism says you get rid of guilt by saying that whatever you are is what you're supposed to be. So if you do something that God calls sinful, don't worry about it. That's antiquated, out of date. Have confidence in your humanity and who you are. So if you are a murderer, we're going to get there. If you're a murderer, 
Just know that's who you are, and others will have to work with that. Now, we're not there yet. We're not publicizing that yet, except for in the abortion racket. But that's who you are. If you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you're perverse in nature, don't call it what God calls it. Don't know that it's sin. Know that it's, you're just different. Humanism says the guilt we feel over our sin. Humanism says it's been trained into us by religion instead of put in you by God. Humanism says if you can get over this foolishness of religion, you can go on and live a guilt-free life no matter what you do. Eh? There are all kinds of monikers today for what God calls sin in the name of humanism saying, no, this is just, you know, little things that cause difficulty or whatever it may be. Religion has tried to answer the guilt we feel. At one point in time, it was have strong organization and big structures and go through rites and rituals and you will have a sense of the swaging of your guilt and grief over the things you know you've done wrong, but it doesn't work. So now humanity says, nope, religion hasn't dealt with our sin. Let's try a new religion. Let's call it whatever you want. It's called progressivism, whatever, humanism. And what happens is God has put a conscience in us to recognize when we have disobeyed the one who created us so that we can come to Christ for forgiveness. God is a God of mercy. But you'll never get to mercy if you bypass His truth. Without truth, you'll never know mercy. The truth is, we have no right to speak to God. We've disobeyed Him. We've disregarded Him. We've been unthankful to Him. We've disregarded the conscience He put in us. We've disregarded His handiwork in creation. We've disregarded the Bible, His written holy word. And in all of that, we've disregarded His only begotten Son. A man's got to get to the point where he says... I've done God wrong. I have wronged my Creator who's gone to great efforts to love me, forgive me, reconcile me, bring me into His family, and in ignoring that, I am utterly sinful. Saul of Tarsus got there on the road to Damascus. It's a blessed day when we get there and realize Jesus came of His own accord for our sins, the things that we have done that are wrong. The, listen now. The only thing that will truly, ultimately, remove your guilt is faith in Jesus Christ. The only thing that will give you peace of conscience to say, I no longer am afraid of the wrath of God. Because we can ignore it. Evolutionism causes us to dismiss it. Humanism causes us to explain it, excuse it. But the only thing that will truly cancel your guilt is the Word of God. God promises When you trust my son, I count your trust in him as righteousness, and you are then what the Bible calls justified. Meaning in God's eyes, it's as if you've never disobeyed him one time. How? By simply trusting the one who gave himself for us. Why would we walk away from that truth? It boils back down to that matter of pride. Let that truth of... He gave himself for our sins, sink deep within, even if you've already trusted on the Savior. Okay, back to Galatians 1. We'll wrap this up this morning. Verse 4 again. Who gave himself for our sins. Why? Here's his purpose. We've seen his presentation. His purpose, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. This world. What do we mean this world? This period of time we're living in. Everything on earth is either rusting, decaying, dying, or depleting. There's a scientific law called the second law of thermodynamics. It's not been negated. It's still in place. 
Amen? And the second law of thermodynamics is not creating new universes. It's decaying the one we live in. (laughs) Now, what brought about that law? It's called the curse of sin. If you're in a body, we all define each other by different ages. You can look at me and know that I'm older than my kids because of the second law of thermodynamics. (laughs) We can look at each other and know that some of us are closer to the end of our time in this life than others. Now, I understand anybody could die today. I get that. But in the natural progression of things or regression, death is imminent. The truth? What we know about this life is it's not eternal. That's what we talk about this present world. Everything that has been touched by the curse of sin, trees die, weeds grow, thorns grow, life is a struggle, a battle. Is it not? This world, this present world we live in, this is not heaven and it's not hell. This is this world. There is another world, a spiritual world, an eternal world. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil world. Boy, God's perspective is different than humanism's, isn't it? Humanism says, in all of us there's a little good. God says, the whole world's evil. Yeah, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And friend, that's not hard to believe. Just look around you and look within you. (laughs) And Jesus came to deliver us, meaning what he came to give is not a better life. He came to give eternal life. Please don't miss what I just said. Jesus didn't come and talk about giving you a better life. He said, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but that's okay. We're going on to a world that never ends. If you struggle and suffer in this life, that's all right. There's a life coming where there'll be no tears. You say, do you believe that? I do believe it because God said it. He promised it in that book, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and chapter 22, and in a host of other places, John chapter 14. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil world. May I tell you what's on God's agenda for this world? Read the last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation, we see how this world, this age we're living in, will come to an end in a flame of fire. You say, you believe that? I do. It's in the book. It's throughout the Word of God, Old and New Testament alike. God has given us enough light about the future to say, this world is not going to last. You better not pour all your investment into this world. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil world. Let me ask you something. If your hope is entirely based in this life, what a drudgery. Solomon said it best, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You work your fingernails off, you sweat and you bleed for what reason? To say goodbye to it all and you breathe your last breath and leave it to somebody you don't know what they'll do with it. What a vain existence. You work hard to accumulate things to know you cannot keep them. But he came to deliver us from that. Listen here close this morning. I am excited about the day I step into eternity. So that's morbid, preacher. That's called life. You're not going to die if you're saved by Jesus Christ today. You're going to step from this world into the next. And that's the truth of God's Word. And this morning, Jesus came to deliver us. I don't think you have to live very long to agree that this present world is evil. And He came to save us from the condemnation of this world. This world is condemned. 
It is, the Bible says the whole creation is groaning and travailing because of the effects of sin. That's in Romans chapter 8. In John chapter 12, the Bible talks about the judgment of this world. In John 16, he says the prince of this world is judged. Do you know who is managing the affairs of this world? Satan. He's the little g, God of this world. He brought sin into this world and he's going to feel the condemnation that comes with that at the end of this world. Jesus came to save us from the condemnation of this world. You could reference, for time's sake, we'll not turn to all these, but John 12, 31, 1 Corinthians 11, 32, and 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, and chapter 5, it also tells us that Jesus came to save us from wrath to come. There's wrath coming on this world. Either those who are living on this earth when the Lord Jesus returns to execute judgment, and if not, there's going to be a resurrection at the end of that time. There's a day of wrath where God says, Enough! I'm going to carry out my judgment now. Jesus came to deliver us from the condemnation of this world, which we referenced earlier in John chapter 3. He came to deliver us from the corruption of this world. Do you know what? That Jesus is a sufficient Savior today to live a holy and a godly life, not only to save you from the the penalty of sin, but to save you from the, the power hold of sin. On your life, in John chapter 17, in praying for those who believe on Him, our Lord said this in His prayer to the Father. John 17, verses 14 and 15, I have given them, talking about His disciples and His believers, I have given them Thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that Thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that Thou shouldest keep them from the evil. His father, this world is evil, and I'm not... You know what? He could have prayed and raptured the saints right then, but he left us here to be salt and light. He left us here to live a holy life unto God. We talked about in Sunday school. Do you realize that the life of Christ today is sufficient for you to live a godly life? Jesus isn't dead today. He's living. He came to deliver us from the condemnation of this world. That's, that's the judgment and the wrath of God but he also came to deliver us from the corruption of this world. If you're a Christian this morning, you don't have to live like the rest of the world. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't live like those that are under the sin curse and are condemned to living. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 John 2 15 through 17, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, talking about being saved from this present evil world. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom... The world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You want that? We would say it this way, this life. The world is this life. This morning, you may be sitting here, many of you are, and you have believed the message of the gospel, but the cross has maybe not had its full effect on you yet. We're not to live for the things of this life. We're not to be alive under this world, living for this world. God has a plan for us in this world, but if we'll lose our life, you plan a life about accumulating things in this life, this world... Great regret. You know what? By the cross of Jesus Christ, we are crucified to the world and the world unto us. You know what? We no longer belong to this world. We have an eternal home. We have an eternal destination. We have an eternal heritage. We now have an eternal nature. And we're to be dead to this world and live unto God. 
You could read in your own time Titus 2, 11 through 14 that we looked at in Sunday school. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Jesus said, the Bible says that he gave himself for our sins and he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Verse 5 says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's way of salvation brings glory to one, the one who does the saving. And that's him. It brings glory to Jesus Christ. This morning, Galatians 1, when he says the gospel is this, God in Christ gave himself for us. He came to deliver us from this present evil world. Here we are living in a sin-cursed world, and he came to deliver us out of it unto an eternity in heaven with him, and he ought to be adored and acclaimed as such. The Bible says, to whom be glory forever and ever. You know what he's saying? Paul's saying, all glory today and throughout all eternity belongs to Jesus Christ. But then he gives us another word. What's the final word there in verse 5? Amen. You know, Paul's saying, I'm going to state the truth and that I'm going to express my personal agreement and affirmation of that truth. My question to you this morning is, can you say amen with Paul in verse 5? Because of what Jesus has done in giving himself for us, leaving heavens, no one's done anything more glorious than what Jesus, no human, no athlete can even come close. No, no person is worthy of glory like Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Paul says what he did is of eternal weight. There'll never be an age comes where Jesus Christ should not be lifted up high and said, this is who is to be worshipped. Jesus Christ. He's the one that left heaven when he didn't have to. He's the one that lived the sinless life, not us. He's the one that laid that life down in sacrifice for our sins. Love could never be demonstrated any clearer than what Jesus Christ did on the cross. To him be glory. And he's living. Only he of all humanity tasted death and walked out alive. He took death on. You and I take death on, it's going to beat us. In our natural sense, Christ took it on and conquered it. May I say again, this is not a fervent, stir everybody up. It's it's an eternal truth. To whom be glory forever and ever. And would you and could you say with Paul, amen. You know what amen means? So it is. I agree. I give my personal affirmation that what I just heard is truth. Romans 3, we'll close with these two, a couple of texts of scripture here, a few texts of scripture, bear with me, we're almost done. Romans 3, 26 through 28, the Bible says, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where's boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 1 Timothy 1, 17, 1 Timothy 1, 17, the Bible says, Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And he says it again. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 18. I believe Paul's trying to say to us, the Spirit of God through Paul, Paul not only declared it, he personally 
affirmed it. And so it is with you and I and should be. 2 Timothy 4.18 And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews 13.21 We'll close here. Hebrews 13.21 Verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we say it this morning? In heaven, it's not going to be, oh, here's Pastor Nevin Neal, and here's Pastor so-and-so, and and here's church member so-and-so. It's going to be there as Jesus Christ. I got news for you. If we can't glorify Christ, we're not going to be very comfortable in heaven. Because all surrounding that throne, those, those great heroes in the Bible, you know where they're at? On their face at the throne of Jesus Christ. Who makes them be there? His greatness puts them there. No put on. You know what they're saying? Amen. He's worthy of glory forever and ever. Why? Because he gave himself for our sins. I cannot, I'll be honest with you, friend, I cannot even fathom honestly and sincerely considering doing what he did. But he did it. He didn't consider it. He accomplished it. He did come. He did die. And he is alive today. This morning, if you've never come to personal faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it's the command of God. God says, no other way can you have your guilt cleared and be right with the Holy God. I charge you this morning, challenge you, plead with you. Believe what you've heard. It's true. Christian, this morning, if we're forgiven today and you're not worried about what's going to take place when you leave this world. Should he not get glory this day and tomorrow and the next by us living unto him who died for us?